Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back as one of our all-time favorite guests, Dr. Rebecca Price Janney. So, Rebecca, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Arch. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on and talk about your books. Dr. Janney is the author now of 24 books, including the Golden Squirrel, award-winning Sweet, Sweet Spirit, and Morning Glory, which she talked about on some previous shows. She is a very popular speaker with the Daughters of the American Revolution, different civic groups, church groups, historical societies, libraries, churches, synagogues, and we love her to come on the program and talk about her books and her background. And she has just come out with a new book called The Easton Pass, and she's here to talk about that book today. So, Rebecca, thank you for coming, and thank you for this new book that you have recently come out with, and we're excited to have you talk about it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm always excited to talk about my books. They're they're like other children to me. <laughs> you know, each one is unique, and each one is designed to help encourage people and think about deep things in a positive and encouraging way. And I know that the last time you were on the program, you were hinting to us that there was a new book coming out. And is this latest book, was that the book that you were thinking about or was there another one still to come? Well, I think this might've been it. I had been writing two books a year for a couple of years now. So at times I actually lose track of which one <laughs> is in the pipeline, but this one was scheduled to come out a year ago, but we needed to speed up the production of Sweet, Sweet Spirit so that its launch would correspond with the 50th anniversary mm -hmm. of the Asbury College Revival. So in February, this past February, I went to Kentucky to launch that book at the 50th anniversary of the revival at Asbury Now University. So that's why it's taken a little extra time for book four in the Easton series to come out. And how many books are in the Easton series? This is the fourth one. The first one, Easton at the Forks, came out in 2016. And this is number four. And I think at this point, there will be one further one before we call it quits with that series. But you never know. You're giving us a hint that possibly there's another one coming out, possibly? Yes, <laughs> I do expect number five. Beyond that, I am doubtful, but I think number five might draw the series to a nice close. Okay. And what is the theme behind this series of books that you have written? It's an interesting concept for me anyway, that half of it is historical fiction based on somebody who actually lived 250 some years ago and his fictional descendant who lives now. So it's a back and forth novel, all of them are like that, where we find ourselves at times in the 18th century and then we're propelled to the present and the fictional descendant is going through very similar things in her life as the man who lives in the 18th century. So one of the themes that runs through all four books is that we definitely can learn from people who came before us. And with your writing, Rebecca, you write 
historical and you write historical fiction. What is the process that you go through when you write a historical fiction book as far as background is concerned? So, you know, mm -hmm. you know. I do a lot of research and because I am a historian and have taught college history, college level, graduate level history courses, I am pretty well versed in American history and have learned how to use primary documents. And by that, I mean things that the principal characters themselves wrote, things that were written about them at the time they lived, diaries, journals, newspaper accounts, things of that nature. So the research is very natural for me, and I tend to know where to look as far as sources go. In the Easton series, in the last couple of books, there have been American revolutionary battles. And I have a great person who helps me make sure that what I write about in terms of those battles happens to be accurate. His name is John Furling, and he is a widely published author of American history, especially military history. So I really do try to make sure that without being at all cumbersome, Mm -hmm. You know, while being entertaining and bringing the reader on board, I am pretty meticulous about the accuracy of what's happening. And I know John Furling is a very credible historian, and his favorite book of mine is Almost a Miracle. So, oh, that was a good one. Yeah, it's such a good book on the revolution. So, mm -hmm. th th this fourth book, Rebecca, picks up where three left off. Yes. Yes. In book three, we find Colonel Peter Kishline about to be released from his captivity as a British prisoner of war after the Battle of Brooklyn. And he lost most of his troops. I don't want to give too much away, but he uh, was not in real good shape at the end of book three, but he does find his way back home to Eastern Pennsylvania, which is the setting of all of the books. And in book four, we find him still on parole in Easton, and it's early 1777. So it was definitely one of the low points of the revolution for the patriots. Would the readers need to read these books in progression, or can they just pick one out and read it and go back and forth? Your suggestion? I don't. I don't really recommend the back and forth. Okay. Um, I I think it would be okay if they picked up book three or book four and then decided to go back to the beginning. But in order to get the richness of the whole experience, it would be great if they could start with book one. I think and, it's like that with most series. Sure. And would you share with our listeners very quickly your background of how you got to this point where you are, you know, 24 books and this book has just won an award. What's your background for you to be able to do so much of this wonderful writing? I majored in history in college, and I also began writing professionally when I was in high school. So the two of those things were always uppermost in my mind as I was going through my education. And I received a master's and then a doctorate focusing on American history and continued to write for publication. And my first books came out in the mid-90s. and. They were historical mysteries, mostly historical mysteries for mid-level readers. And then I caught the eye and attention of some other editors 
who asked me if I'd be willing to write some nonfiction for a more adult audience. And that's when I began making the switch into writing nonfiction, biographical sketches, cultural histories of related American historical themes. And then around 19, or yeah, 19, I'm in the wrong century, Arch. Um, <laughs> does that ever happen to you? Uh, at my age, I think I probably should be in the 18th century, Rebecca. <laughs> well, I live there half of the time, so yep. I guess it's no surprise. But I'd say about a dozen years or so ago, I realized that the man who is the one of the two main characters in the Easton books, Colonel Peter Kishline, was actually my six times great-grandfather. Oh, wow. And I became so taken with his story. And the more I found out about him, the more I thought his story would be fantastic to share with today's readers. And my agent found an editor who was willing to let me go ahead and write a fictional series based on him and his made-up fictional descendant. And that's how that all came about. So for the last four years, I've been writing fiction. And it's been really fun. I still enjoy nonfiction, but it's been neat to be creative in a different way. I've always tried to add a certain level of artistry to my nonfiction. But now I get to go all out with it. And that's been very rewarding for me and hopefully for my readers. Well, Rebecca, from everything that I read about you and your website and your blogs, you have made the point that you're very inspiring. It's a joy to be able to read because you give us some very uplifting things to read and think about in this world where it seems like we're constantly bombarded with negativity. Oh, yes. And I do very much see myself as somebody who writes to inspire and encourage. And one of the people I look up to most as a contemporary writer is Jan Karen, mm -hmm. and she has created the Mitford series. And those books have really inspired my books in that she doesn't sugarcoat how hard life can be. But by the same token, she is a faith-based writer. And because of that faith, she knows that there's an end in sight and it's going to be good no matter what we go through. And the fact that being a historian, I know America has been through some pretty rough patches before. No matter what, things will work out. And I think that's something that we all need to hear. And constantly, Rebecca, reminded of, and as I said, you know, when I listen to your podcast, when I read what you have written, it's that theme that I constantly come back to, that there is hope and you're encouraged, you're, there's so much encouragement that I receive personally from your writing and from your podcast and from your inspiring stories. It's just amazing. I can't thank you enough because you're a voice out there in, in this big sea of negativity. You know, there's a voice, you, you're one of the voices out there that encourages, that inspires to continue on. So personally, I want to thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you for saying that, Arch. That, that really encourages me a lot. I actually got a fan letter the other day from someone who told me that, and I couldn't believe this, he has reread my Easton books three or four times. Oh. And he said that 
he said very much what you did that he sees beauty in the books mm -hmm. and it it makes him look at the beauty that there is in life and the goodness that there is in life and that I must be doing my job and I know I have to guard my own spirit because if I spend too much time on the internet on Facebook listening to newscasts I get down yes. and yes I went through a rough patch uh, this spring. My father passed away in April, and it was a very hard time, as many of your listeners probably went through it themselves. It was a rough time to lose somebody because the normal things that are in place that help you mourn were not in place. Mm -hmm. And I found myself getting really bowed down by what was going on around me in addition to my grief. And I had to do a Facebook fast and I needed to pull away from most news reports and just bury myself in, for me, what lifted me up. So uplifting reading like Jan Karen and biographies of people who overcame and above all the scriptures. So that was what helped me get past it. And I knew I needed to get past it if I was going to continue to be a voice of encouragement. Overall, what happens to a person when the ground we're standing on suddenly shifts? When our personal foundations are shaken so that the things that used to define us are no longer in place? What happens then? And in the book, both Peter and Aaron are going through shaking experiences and trying to figure out, okay, this is who I used to be, but life has changed. Who am I now? And that is so timely with you know, where we are in present-day America. I think so. And <laughs> isn't it ironic that the book was supposed to be out two years ago? a year and a half, two years ago, and it's here now. Mm -hmm. The timing is, I think, providential. And I was just going to say that, you know, we are both people of faith, and we know that, you know, time is, is in the providence of God, not our hands. Mm -hmm. So it, it's there. I have yes. a curiosity question for you from one of okay. the chapters of the book, because I don't know what this is. So forgive me for my ignorance and lack of knowledge, but I think it's page eight when he sipped his Darjeeling, am I saying that right? And then put his mug <laughs> back into a coaster? Am I saying that right? Darjeeling. What is it's, that? <laughs> it's tea. It's a black tea that has a very mellow kind of flavor. Okay. <laughs> well, not being a tea drinker, that's, so forgive me for my ignorance, but thank you for giving me that information. <laughs> I had no idea, you know, not being a tea drinker. And next week you will find 10 boxes of Darjeeling on your desk waiting for you. Oh, I, well, okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Go ahead, listeners. Send our boxes send of Darjeeling. Send it in. <laughs> you combined American history in all your novels. And yes. a lot of what you have written are the historical fiction. Did you first start out that way? Or did you migrate to that? And where do you feel most comfortable in your writing? I started out definitely with some historical idea in mind. 
I was very keen on biographies. And right around 1999, I wrote a short biography of Harriet Tubman. And before that, I had written profiles of American women of faith. And I've loved biographies since I was very young. Before that, my mid-reader series incorporated elements of American history. So I think it's something that I always wanted to write about, always thought that I would. And at different phases in my writing life, I've gone from youth to nonfiction to biography to cultural commentary to adult fiction. But there is, as you say, that common historical thread running through all of them. And as far as comfort goes, I feel at home with all of them. I think it just depends on perhaps what season of life I'm going through mm -hmm. at the time. So right now, I'm working through some personal things in the Easton novels. I get asked a lot if Erin is me. And no, she isn't me. But I use some of my experiences to write about her. Some of the experiences with family and friends. And I made her somewhat quirky. And I don't know, you could ask my husband if he thinks I'm quirky, but <laughs> one of the most endearing things about her is that she eats really strange food mashups. And people ask me all the time if I eat like that, and I don't. I actually have several food sensitivities, which means that I'm more limited than most people in what I can eat. So in a way, she's my alter ego that way. But I'm comfortable with all of the things I've written. And like I said, I think they accompany each phase of my life. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure you're a little bit quirky, but Rebecca, my wife claims that I am I am very quirky. So, <laughs> you know, so if you're quirky, then I would say I'm in very, very good company. So yes, <laughs> who do you know specifically who your audience is or, or how you would how would someone come about knowing who their audience is in writings and your communications? It's funny because in most writing seminars, that's one of the 101 basics is know your audience. And I believe based on sales and input that I get that most of my readers are women, probably low to high middle age and older. That seems to be the big demographic of readers in general in our country. But I get a lot of positive feedback from men too. So. I'm hesitant to say that it's primarily women. It's definitely not just women's fiction, which I happen to have a high regard for, but I think that men enjoy my work too. So I know that's not the most direct answer, but it's overall a person who really enjoys American history and who who enjoys reading something that when they come away, they don't feel like they need to take a bath and they feel instead refreshed. Mm -hmm. And again, I will repeat saying that your writing is such a breath of fresh air with, with all the bombardment that we get every day with so much negativity. 
in social media and in the print and you know everything we listen to and we yeah. hear as an audience. Well, I think, Arch, that one way that I knew that Elk Lake Publishing was going to be the right publisher for me on the books I'm doing now is that their slogan is publishing the positive. So the entire publishing company focuses on uplifting books. So my books fit right into mm -hmm. what they're doing to their mission. Share with our listeners, please, Rebecca, one, where they're able to purchase your books and particularly this one, all of them, but this one you've just written. And also, where could they find, because you do a lot of speaking engagements and your podcast, where would they be able to have further contact with you? And I, I, I'm saying it's your ministry. Yes, I would say go to my website, www.rebeccapricejanny.com. And on there, there are links to my current speaking schedule, as well as to my podcast, which is at anchor.fm slash Rebecca Price Janney. It's called Inspiration from American History. And the books, I would say their best way to get them would be through Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. And are you still doing your inspiring stories? I know I, they seem to be coming along weekly for a while. Are they still, or do you do those sporadically? I'm trying to do weekly. It's been a little challenging lately because when a new book comes out mm -hmm. and there's a launch involved, there's so much marketing that has to be done and most of it falls on the author. So I've been very busy with that. And I'm a little bit off schedule with it being weekly, but that is the goal. And Rebecca, I will say to our listeners, when you say they're inspiring stories from American history, we need to capitalize that word inspiring because mm -hmm. everyone that I have heard from you, and I've heard many, many, you know, you come away more inspired about what we've been through as a nation, who we are as a nation, the miraculous things that God has done in this nation. So I can't recommend to our listeners highly enough of listening to your inspiring stories on the podcast. Well, thank you, Arch. I hope again that they do inspire and that they give some perspective. I was talking to my teenage son last night about some pretty big, strange things that have happened in American history. And one of them was back in the pre-Civil War days when two senators came to blows mm -hmm. over the question of states' rights and slavery and so forth. Mm -hmm. And and one of them was beaten pretty badly. Yes. And we don't tend to think about our ancestors that way. We tend to think, oh, American history was so quaint. And, and I think we think that because it's over and we know the end from the beginning of certain events that took place, but a lot of it was downright messy and we came through it. And I think that's the message I really want to get across. Yes, yes, I totally agree with you. So listeners, we're going to continue with our conversation with Rebecca and talk more about the books and more about our other books. So, but Rebecca, we want to thank you for coming and congratulations on already winning an award for Easton at the Past. Thank you for... Well, actually, if I may correct you, um, Easton at the Pass didn't win the award, but oh, Easton at the Crossroads I'm did. Sorry. Easton at the Crossroads, yeah. yeah. Thank you for correcting me. It's easy to get them messed up. I do it myself, but yep. 
Last year, Easton at the Crossroads won Historical Novel of the Year for the Golden Scroll competition. And hopefully, Easton at the Pass will follow suit, but we won't know that until next year. Yeah, well, thank you for correcting me. And I don't <laughs> claim to be a prophet, but I'm, I'm expecting Easton at the Pass also to win. And we will find out why if you don't, Rebecca. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank you again for your writing and for your inspiring stories and for your attitude and remaining true to your faith as a woman of faith and what you do to help inspire us with your writings and everything that you do. So thank you so much for coming back and sharing with us. And again, congratulations on your newest book. Thank you. You are very kind. This is WFYL. 1180 AM, Working for Your Liberty.